This is episode number 21 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We're broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. The liberal mainstream media has lost their minds. They can no longer be objective if they ever could be. And the conservative, as I refer to them now, state-run media has been compromised and completely co-opted. We, however, at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. And join our Twitter followers at our handle, Individual1Pod. That's individual, the number one pod. We continue to be in a holding pattern for the inevitable release of at least part of the Mueller report. And I am beginning to believe that at the very least, the result of this delay, if not the intent of this delay, is to take the air out of the ball of this story. And I don't know whether or not uh, the bar is smart enough to do this, uh, whether or not someone uh, within the the White House uh, or the administration is smart enough to to realize this is what they're doing. But the way this has all gone down has at least so far played right into the hands of Donald Trump. And even last night, and this is a very small thing, but I think it's indicative. Uh, of what I'm talking about, Saturday Night Live, which has been very anti-Trump and very pro-Muller over the last uh, year or so, they started their program with a spoof on MSNBC with the line from the announcer saying, now that the Mueller report has turned out to be a big fat zero, we move on to other things. And this is before one word of the Mueller report has ever even been released it's just flat out ridiculous but that's the world we live in the world we live in is that our attention spans are so short and in in, and i really think the number one lesson and trump is smart enough to realize this the number one lesson in any kind of investigation like this is let time pass it doesn't matter what the allegation is doesn't matter what the evidence is over time It will seem like less of a big deal. People will get tired of it. The energy will seep out of it. The air will go out of the ball. And that's what has happened here. Now, is this as part of a strategy or is this just something that's happened by coincidence? We don't know yet. But it is certainly consistent with the idea that there are people who know what's in the Mueller report who know that it would be theoretically bad for President Trump and who are doing absolutely everything they can to defuse it. With Bill Barr putting out that ridiculous four-page summary, shading things in Trump's direction as much as possible, so that becomes the narrative. And then we've got this ridiculous delay. I mean, at this point, I'm also believing, here's my prediction, and we still don't know when this is going to come out, whether it'll be later today, as I've been joking, it'll come out as soon as any particular episode of the Individual One podcast ends, but whether it's Sunday or Monday, it's supposed to be any any day now, 
what I think we're going to see is going to be very limited. Because how else do you explain this remarkable delay? I mean, it doesn't take that long to redact something. We're talking weeks now. And I realize it's almost 400 pages. But come on. If you're really talking, if you're really talking about only doing something for national security reasons, it should not take nearly this long to redact. Now, if you're doing this for the purposes of political considerations and you're trying to figure out what you can get away with redacting, that might take a long time. And if you're trying to use this, as I refer to it, the taking out the air out of the ball strategy, that's also consistent with what is happening. Because people, there was an anticipation when the summary came out. Oh, my gosh, let me see what's in the report. And that was trending on Twitter almost every day. Well, now it's been a couple weeks, and that narrative is set that this was all big nothing. And it seems like, not everybody, but it seems like a lot of people have just moved on without seeing one word of what's in the report. And this is so typical of what happens in our society this day and age, having nothing to do with Trump. I, I am continually frustrating, frustrated by the, the reality that we never get to the bottom of anything. doesn't matter how big the story is, we never get to the core truth for many reasons, largely because all of our systems are broken. Our media system is broken. Our legal system is broken. Our political system is broken. And our populace is broken. I mean, we, we as a populace just don't demand it anymore. I love the poorly educated. And so I'm now exceedingly pessimistic that we're ever going to get to the bottom of even what the hell's in the Mueller report. Because I think what will happen is in the next couple of days, it'll be released and there's going to be massive amounts of redactions. And what will happen is Trump will once again say, see, vindicated. <laughs> Because all the bad stuff, or most of the bad stuff, will be redacted. And it doesn't take much. You know, you could have, in theory, right, you could have, uh, you know, only 5% of a of a 400-page report redacted, which to the average person won't sound like very much. But if it's a key 5% and you've cut the balls off of it, it's going to be a situation where everyone will go, oh, see, there's nothing here. And then, of course, Democrats will go, well, wait a minute. What about what's in the redactions? And this is where the time lapse matters. Because then Trump can say, these damn Democrats, they'll never be happy. My gosh, we've been doing this for so long. This has gone on forever and ever, this investigation. And now they want to see every word because at every point we got to, they don't find what they want. It's not there. And so now they're whining over a small portion of the report. And, you know, they're, they're the ones that just can't get over it. They've got Trump derangement syndrome. They got duped into this uh, Russian hoax, this witch hunt, and they can't admit they're wrong. And at least to the cult, if not to the larger Republican audience, that will sell. That dog will hunt. Even though I don't think it's going to be legitimate. And until at least, here's the very least that needs to happen. Somebody like an Adam Schiff, the uh, head of the House Intelligence Committee, or Richard Blumenthal in the Senate, one of those, both of those guys, if both of those guys are able to see 
almost everything that's in the report and they don't have any objections, then I'm fine. Barring Bill Barr uh, coming out and saying, hey, look, um, you know, what, what has been said, I don't really care. I mean, what Bill Barr says is irrelevant to me. I don't trust him, especially after his, his very strange testimony this week. But if, if Schiff and Blumenthal come out and say, look, uh, you know, the redactions are fine or there's nothing else in here that merits uh, concern, then okay. Because, by the way, that would be good news. Nobody is rooting for the President of the United States to be beholden to a hostile foreign power or to have committed obstruction of justice in that investigation. Nobody wants that. I don't want it. But if it happened, I don't want it to be whitewashed either. We need to get to the bottom of this. This was a huge, huge issue with a presidential election, a presidential election that has probably changed this country forever. And uh, and I'm not, I'm just, I'm believing at this point, the next step will be a largely redacted report that will tell us virtually nothing. And what the White House is banking on is that there won't be enough pressure to get whatever is redacted out into the public domain in a credible way. Now, eventually, eventually, Robert Mueller is almost certainly going to testify. And at that point, there's not much the White House can do. But at that point, will will the public have completely moved on? Will the narrative be so, so set in stone that it won't matter what Mueller were to say? And let's be clear, Mueller is a by-the-book guy. There's been a lot of people that have said, well, why hasn't Mueller objected to Barr's summary? Well, technically, Barr's summary could be 100% accurate. He said Trump was not exonerated on obstruction of justice. Well, oh my gosh, everything could fit underneath that. You know, I've made the analogy to, to people who have objected to, me, to my view on this on Twitter by saying, look, if in the O.J. Simpson case, O.J. Simpson clearly guilty of murder and he was acquitted, if... If the jury had sent a note to Judge Ito, in this case, you know, the, the jury uh, would be Bill Barr, uh, Donald Trump's uh, essentially personal attorney at this point, even though he's the attorney general of the United States, sent a note to, uh, to the judge, Judge Ito, who in this case is Robert Mueller. If the, the jury had said, we found him not guilty, though not exonerated. <laughs> What would Judge Ito, again, in this case, Robert Mueller, what would Judge Ito have done? Well, yeah, that's technically true. You found him not guilty, but you didn't think he was exonerated of the crime, even though the evidence against him was overwhelming. So I'm not suggesting we're, we're talking 100% analogy here, but that is certainly within the realm of possibility based upon what we already know is in the public record. So I, I'm just... I'm getting very pessimistic and uh, and very um, frustrated by the fact that Bill Barr is getting away with what he's able to get away with. And it's all so transparent. I go back to to what is the key moment in this that no one's paid any attention to, which is the day after the midterm election, Jeff Sessions is effectively fired because he didn't recuse himself from the Russian investigation. And then just in time, literally just in time, Donald Trump is able to install, via the Republican Senate, 
hammering through Bill Barr, taking out of mothballs to become the attorney general of the United States. And uh, this happens clearly because a year prior, he had written an unsolicited 19-page memo ripping Mueller and defending the idea that a president cannot be indicted for obstruction of justice under uh, the similar circumstances to what we're anticipating in the, in the Mueller investigation. I mean, come on, people. Not to mention the fact that Bill Barr's son-in-law works directly for Donald Trump right now. I mean, he could not possibly be more conflicted, and his testimony this week was a joke. It was a complete joke. It was just flat-out ridiculous. The idea that he refused, there was no spying by our intelligence agencies, by the Obama administration, on the Trump campaign, is a joke, and it's incredibly dangerous. And many people have uh, been very uh, incensed by this, rightfully so. Bill Barr clearly is acting as Donald Trump's personal attorney and not the attorney general of the United States. And this gets me to the much larger issue I have with Donald Trump, that Donald Trump is making himself a king or a monarch. And this has been consistent with everything Trump has done. Another Talk about things that have been underrated. To me, the most underrated uh, act that this president has done Maybe, although this is a tough call because there's been many of them. There's so many scandals they get lost on an almost daily basis. But to me, the idea that he got zero blowback from the media and zero from Republicans who originally objected to his national emergency on the border, that his only veto was to override the the, uh, retraction of his own national emergency. In other words, he didn't veto something because he had a policy difference. Let's say Congress enacted some law he didn't like, and he vetoed it. That that would be perfectly legitimate. That's part of what the presidential powers are about. His only veto was to enhance and protect his own abuse of power. He declared a national emergency. The Congress rendered that uh, illegitimate. Both houses, including Numerous Republicans in the Senate, I think there were 12 Republicans in the Senate, something along those lines, who voted to retract that national emergency, and then he he vetoed that. Now, that was a purely personal veto, a veto that had nothing to do with anything other than protecting his own abuse of power. That's what a king does, and he got no blowback for that. None. And we've seen this consistently now. We saw it this week where there was a story out via Jake Tapper of CNN where Trump promised pardons. He promised pardons to Homeland Security personnel if they got caught breaking the law regarding illegal immigrants and sanctuary cities. Now, this has caused quite a bit of controversy. And, of course, the Trump defense always says, oh, I was just joking. Just joking, didn't really mean it or didn't really say. See, see, this is Trump is a genius in many ways. He is a genius in many ways because he knows that his cult will believe anything he wants. So he can put out a couple of different theories and then people can choose the theory they want. Either it didn't happen, believe me, or or it did and it's actually a good thing. I love the poorly educated. So that's so Trump is a genius in that way. You throw everything up against the wall and people can choose which they like. Plus he gets to claim fake news.
So, and, and you know, the and what's really amazing about this, the pardon story, of course, is, all right, he can, so his, his cult and his supporters get three choices. One, it didn't happen. Two, he was just joking. Three, it's actually a good thing because he's doing this for the greater good. He's fighting for us on the border. When in reality, here's what probably really happened. All right. Here's what probably really happened. Trump, out of his own uh, boredom and vindictiveness and cluelessness, decides that he wants to do this crazy thing and order illegal immigrants to be dumped into sanctuary cities out of vengeance and a way to own the libs. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make liberals cry. And anything that makes liberals cry now is good with conservatives, as pathetic as that is. And he has a conversation with uh, some Homeland Security personnel who probably said, well, Mr. President, that's illegal. And he probably probably said something along the lines of, uh, well, don't worry about it. I'll just pardon you if anything ever happens. Now, that provides inherent plausible deniability. Is he joking? Is he not joking? You don't know because it's not being recorded. But it doesn't matter because as long as you just float that out there, it has impact, especially when... As president of the United States, you've already abused that pardon power by giving a pardon to Sheriff Joe Arpaio of Arizona over this entire issue of illegal immigration. So all you need to do, whether you're joking or not, is just float that out there, and it has an impact. And then when you get called on it, you can just say, fake news, or maybe I actually did do it, and I was joking, or maybe I really did do it, and it's for the good. It doesn't matter because his supporters will pick the lane they like the best. Maybe they'll even pick multiple lanes, and it will be fine. Nobody in, who's a supporter of Donald Trump is going to be upset with him about this because there's no scenario that they're not okay with under this set of circumstances, except the larger problem is the presidency is becoming a monarchy. That's what monarchs do. They offer pardons for people to break the law for things for their own behalf. That's, that is a problem, and it used to be a problem for conservatives, but it's no longer a problem for so-called conservatives. Uh, you know, Conservatives will carry his water on this. People like Mark Levin or Rush Limbaugh, people used to believe in the Constitution and making sure that you know, we did not become a monarchy. Well, we are becoming a monarchy. Donald Trump is effectively becoming a king. And this is going to have profound implications for the future. Because someday we're going to get a guy who's a king who's not a buffoon. And who has real evil intent. And he's going to be able to use Donald Trump precedent to do whatever the hell he wants or she wants. And it's not going to be okay. And by the way, it might happen. It might be in a direction you, as a conservative, if you're if you are a conservative, that you don't like. It could be a liberal king. People were concerned that Obama was becoming a king. That the things Obama did were nothing in comparison to the things that Trump is doing in this realm. And as far as this issue of sending illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities, I mean, Trump is Trump is having having it every which way on this as well. He's calling it fake news while also confirming the story. He literally called the New York Times fake news for reporting that he was going to send illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities. And then 38 minutes later, he said that he will be sending 
illegal immigrant detainees to sanctuary cities. 38 minutes. He's on the record saying that what the New York Times reported is true, and yet he still gets to call it fake news. We're living in bizarro world. It's just flat out ridiculous. And this is happening routinely. We're so desensitized to it, it doesn't even make an impact now. And and we're seeing other stories. There's a story out over the last couple of days about his inaugural committee and the, the, the funneling of money allegedly involving that that seems very much like a king. There's the fact that here we are two days from tax day and Trump once again will not release his taxes as every other president has in modern history, every other presidential candidate has in modern history, which promised to do on multiple occasions, including if he got elected. <laughs> and yet he hasn't even done it as president under this utterly bullcrap excuse that, well, I'm under audit. That's total horse manure. That it, that it, that, I mean, it's laughable. It is completely absurd that he cannot release his tax returns because he's under audit. First of all, uh, there's there's no ev- how could you have uh, your, your there, I mean it's so ridiculous I can't even comprehend how ridiculous it is. There's so many problems with this. But first of all, there's there's many many years of his tax returns, so he can always just re- release the last one that's not under audit. There's nothing even preventing him from releasing his returns if they are under audit. Nothing. Zero. There's no evidence, by the way, that he's under audit. So there's no evidence he's under audit. He wouldn't prevent him from releasing it to begin with. And there's plenty of other, there's got to be other returns that are not under audit. It's not as, it's not as if he, the last 15 years are still continually under audit. And now there's this effort by the part of the Democrats to force the Treasury Department to release them. And this is where that pardon situation comes in again. Allegedly, there's a law that they're going to have to release his tax returns. Now, there's a big disagreement over whether or not this is actually going to take. It'll probably end up going to the courts. I mean, we're going to be in a situation where the Supreme Court ends up determining whether or not the president's tax returns should be released. And the two deciding votes are two people that were appointed to the court by the very president who they're deciding whether or not we should release his tax returns. I mean, that's what could happen here. That's the stuff of a monarchy. And and the idea that he's floating pardons now, if you do his bidding, bidding makes this even worse. And yet there's total silence on the alleged conservative side. No one wants to call him out on this. Because it's what the cult wants. It's what the audience wants. And you don't buck your audience. Because if you buck your audience in a fragmented media world, you'll lose your audience. And then you'll be out of a gig. And that's all anyone cares about. No one gives a damn about the truth. No one gives a damn about the future of the country. They only care about themselves and protecting their precious gig. And down goes conservatism. And down goes what this country is allegedly founded on our basic constitutional principles as well as where we're headed in the future because this only goes in one direction folks that's why you have to be vigilant (laughs) no one is able to take away power from a monarch without a war 
Okay? That's, that's the only way it works, which is why you have to draw a line in the sand and make sure it doesn't get any worse because there's no going back. Once you go down that path, once it really does become a monarchy, the only way you'd reverse it is probably through the spilling of a lot of blood, which nobody wants. We've been through it before. It didn't work out well. And it would be even worse in today's environment. Now, we're not there right now, but that's I think we're heading in that direction. And it'll all be because of this Trump presidency. And imagine his abuse of power. He's abusing power now. He's probably not even going to be impeached because this whole Mueller thing has been bungled and covered up and everyone, you know, should have been on that impeachment bandwagon way sooner. They waited for Mueller. It was a strategic mistake. It was a mistake for Mueller not to interview or force Trump into an interview, subpoena him for an interview to get him under oath. So he's probably not even going to be impeached. So imagine all his abuse of power where he's not impeached and he gets reelected in a second term with no accountability. Look out. Look out. Uh, That's the problem here. That's Trump in a second term, folks. That's my daughter, Grace, describing a couple years ago what a Trump second term would be like. Because now he's been absolved uh, of what should have been numerous impeachable offenses. And if he gets reelected, he doesn't have to face the voters again. He doesn't give a damn about that second midterm election. In fact, he might even be rooting for Democrats to punish Republicans for not doing what he wanted them to back when he had the chance. He doesn't care about the Republican Party. He's going to be unleashed. It'll be Donald Trump unplugged. He'll be tweeting dick pics by his fifth or sixth year, and they won't be his dick pics. I can assure you that. It's going to be a disaster. And unfortunately, I think that's where we're headed because it certainly looks like Democrats are going to blow this. They, They do not have nearly as strong a hand as they think they do. They're thinking, uh, you know, they're not thinking. They're, they're trying to fall in love with a candidate instead of using their brains and realizing that the focus should be on trying to defeat Trump. And they're doing this in all sorts of ways. I realize it's early, but it's very easy to see the path they're going down. I wrote about this for Mediate earlier this week. We've talked about it on the show before. If, if, this is a, if this whole Democratic primary process is The Bachelor, the TV show The Bachelor on ABC then, you know, basically the first impression rose, which happens on the first episode of The Bachelor, went to Pete uh, Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg has won the media's first impression rose. They love him. Now, the public doesn't even know who he is yet. Even I am not 100% sure how to pronounce his name. But he's the, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He's 37 years old, very smart, very well-educated, great-speaking uh, uh, style, very down to earth, funny, intelligent, military background, a small town guy, hasn't been in Washington, D.C., but he also happens to be a homosexual, which no one wants to talk about. And this is a major problem from an electoral standpoint. And I, and I had to go to the mat to write this article, which shows, by the way, how right I am about the larger subject and how biased the news media is on this entire topic. 
and how delusional they are that being a homosexual isn't going to matter, especially against a, tr- a candidate like Donald Trump. If Pete Buttigieg ends up being the nominee. Now, he's a long way from being the nominee, but he's getting traction because the media is in love with him, but they won't tell you why he, they're in love with him. The only reason why they're in love with him is because he's a homosexual. He's married to a man. But we don't want to talk about that because, you know, that would be inconvenient. That would be uncomfortable. He was the primary guest on Meet the Press last week, and Chuck Todd didn't even mention the fact that he's gay, even though that day he was giving a major speech to a a homosexual group about this topic. It wasn't even asked because liberals are delusional because no one they know is going to be offended by the fact that Pete Buttigieg is a homosexual. Do I care? No, I don't care. But I'll tell you who does care. A lot of voters who wouldn't necessarily be for Donald Trump. It'd be the deciding factor, especially in places like Pennsylvania and Florida. And if you don't understand that, and if you don't understand that's where this election is all likely going to be decided, then you, you're going to get what you deserve, which is another four years of Donald Trump, because that's what's going to happen. Because Pete Buttigieg would make this election a referendum on being 38 years old, because he'll be 38 by the time the election comes around, him, on him being 38 years old and gay. So, so you're going to have an election where you could have a referendum on what a crap show the first four years of the Trump administration has been, especially from an ethical standpoint, that would be the smart thing politically to do. Make it a referendum on Donald Trump. But with Pete Buttigieg, you're going to make the election a referendum on being 38 years old and gay. Great job. Great job, Democrats. That's brilliant. Now, we're a long way from there. But there's a, there's, there's a pretty reasonable path for that happening based upon who the other candidates are. And that would be utterly idiotic. That would be suicide. Not saying it would be impossible for Buttigieg to win. If the economy tanks, he would probably win. But you're going to put all your eggs in that basket when you get one shot at this? One shot. And you're going to make this election a referendum on being 38 years old and gay. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And, of course, Democrats have a candidate who could very easily win. His name is Joe Biden. But no, 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 we don't want Joe Biden. No, 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 that would be too easy. We already have someone who's crossed the presidential threshold. He's been vice president for eight years. Uh, He's too old. He's not woke enough. He doesn't excite us. Our our loins don't get all moist. Uh, He's he's just not uh, the guy we want. We we want someone to make our heart go pitter-patter. This week, since the Me Too thing kind of died down, there was an attempt to make Joe Biden a racist. That's right. Liberals were trying to make Joe Biden a racist because of Something he did or said on busing 45 years ago. People, come on. Seriously? Seriously. It's just flat out ridiculous. Did you miss the part about him being Barack Obama, the first black president's vice president, for eight freaking years? And when I said this on Twitter, I got a hilarious response that was very indicative of how out of their minds progressive progressives are now i realize that progressive twitter thankfully is not representative of the larger population it's a very small portion of the population and so maybe within the larger democratic population there are are, there's a majority of people who are rational i doubt it but these people who attack me on twitter these progressive nut jobs this was insane this was utterly insane 
where, where they're, they're saying, no, you're trying to make the I have a black friend argument. That doesn't discount that you're still a racist from 45 years ago. Wait a minute. Hold on. Can you use your freaking brain for a second? This wasn't a situation where Joe Biden was Barack Obama's friend and that somehow insulates him from any charge of racism 45 years ago. Barack Obama chose Joe Biden. Not once, but twice to be his vice president. Happily did so. Did nothing but praise him for eight years. It was Obama that made that decision. So was Barack Obama a racist? Or was he just a moron? And I got to say, one of the things that makes me very pessimistic about how this whole thing is going to go down for Democrats, not that I'm rooting for Democrats, because I don't know who the hell to root for anymore. There's no one worthy of rooting for. Uh, but I, I do not want to see Donald Trump reelected, if at all possible. The, the thing that makes me most pessimistic is I thought that if Obama spoke, it would have real impact. And there's no indication of that. About a week ago, Obama gave a speech saying, or gave a statement saying, you know, we got to avoid the circular firing squad among progressives and that this is going to play right into Trump's hands, which is 100% true. Well, <laughs> that, that hasn't changed anything, hasn't, hasn't uh, impacted the dialogue at all, as far as I can tell. And, and frankly, it took me several days to even know he said that. It got very little publicity. So I don't know what it is, whether or not progressives and now think that Obama is the reason why we got Trump and he's no longer the God that he was uh, four or five years ago or, or what's going on or people have just lost their damn minds, but nothing is making any damn sense. And it's, while it's very, very, very early on, I do not like the direction this is heading. And, and in, it is clear to me the Democrats are going to do their best to screw this up. And there are numerous candidates they have who would be underdogs against Trump that would lose unless the economy somehow tanks between now and November of 2020 and would give us Donald Trump in a second term, which would be exceedingly dangerous, far more dangerous than even the first term was. Not to mention the fact that statistically we're going to have a crisis in the next six years. We have to, whether it's economic, national security or whatever. And Donald Trump cannot be the president of the United States when we have a real crisis or else we have no idea what's going to happen. And so this is very serious business we're talking about here. Democrats get one shot at it, and it looks to me like they're going to blow it. I'm not giving up total hope yet. I'm open-minded, but I do not like where this is going at all. So with that said, we're going to slightly adjust the percentages that we end each edition of the Individual One podcast uh, with. There, The chances of Donald Trump not finishing his first term of office are now just 5%. Remember, please, no wagering on any of these numbers. And the chances of Donald Trump's re-election are up to 55%. I now think that he is a, a pretty decent favorite to win re-election, which is just amazing, considering where his approval ratings are and all that he has done wrong, all that he has done which would have destroyed any other presidency, and rightfully so. Uh, but that's where I see it. Now, uh, we don't know yet when we're going to hear from the, the Mueller report. I, I've already said I do not think we're going to see the whole Mueller report, and I question what kind of impact it can have at this point now that the air has been taken out of the ball. But I'm hopeful that by the next time I speak to you in episode number 22 of the Individual One podcast, we'll at least have something to talk about with regard to 
what has been released from the Mueller report. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share this via social media. Join us on Twitter at individual the number one pod. That's individual the number one pod. My name is John Ziegler. Until next to Wednesday morning, uh, Los Angeles, California time. You're listening to the Global Story Network.